Well, we're going to start with the Apostles' Creed. And please join me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. John six thirty eight. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John eight forty two. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Matthew five seventeen to 18 The fulfillment of the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Thank you, Lori. How many of you are taking advantage of some of the holiday things going on? You know, concerts and music things. How many went to the thing over at Bethel uh, Church yesterday? Is that good? Yeah. Nick Hall, preaching the gospel. Amen. We, uh, Mary and I went to First Lutheran Church on Friday night and heard the Messiah. How many are familiar with Handel's Messiah? Yeah. Woo. The NDSU choir, uh, Aaron Mitleider is in that. And, uh, you know, I got a kick out of that. I mean, this Handel wrote that in 1741, and it took him 41 days to write it. He locked himself in a room, and he fasted, and he prayed, and he wrote the music to that, and came out with Handel's Messiah. And the neat thing about it is that it's all scripture. So the NDSU choir was preaching the gospel to everybody. This public school of education was preaching the gospel Wednesday night or Friday night. I, th- I just think I get a kick out of that because that's all it is. It's declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecy, and that's what we talked about last week, right? Let's pray. Father, we begin uh, <clears throat> by coming to you in prayer asking that you would just help us, God, to understand why Jesus came to earth and why he came into human history, and God, for that to happen, we're just asking that the Holy Spirit would come right now and illuminate the scriptures which he inspired to be written, so that we might understand the person and the work of Jesus. And Jesus, as we look at your words and your works today, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us as prophet who speaks, and priest who serves, and king who rules. And we ask this in your good and glorious name. 
Jesus. Amen. I'm getting a little tickle in my throat, so I got to lube up. Anyway, as we enter into the Christmas season, we're celebrating the coming of Jesus into human history. And the question that you know, I want to try to answer today is, well, you know, why did Jesus come into human history? And to answer that, we're going to start with some words of Jesus from John's gospel where he's emphatic and he's clear that he has come into human history on a very particular mission. And he says this many times, and I'll just give you a couple examples, and they're basically what uh, uh, Lori just read. John 6, 38, he says, I've come, I have come down. Jesus is saying that Basically, he's the eternal God who has lived forever in heaven, and he's come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And then in John 8, 42, he says, I've come from God, and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he has sent me. And so Jesus taught really on more than one occasion that he's eternal God lived in heaven and that God the Father sent God the Son into human history and that mission, you know, he, he came to, as a human being, and that he's a missionary on a mission in human history. And that mission <clears throat> is summarized in the last uh, passage that Lori read, Matthew five seventeen and 18, saying that essentially he has come into human history on a mission of fulfilling everything that was promised about him in the Old Testament. And he says it this way, and I'll read it again, uh, regarding the purpose of his mission. Do not think that I have come. So why has he come? Well, it says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets or to get rid of or dismiss or diminish or disregard the Old Testament. Rather... I have not come to abolish them, but instead to fulfill them. And I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, not the crossing of the T or the dotting of the I, some versions say, not one jot or tittle will by any means disappear from the law or the scriptures until everything is accomplished. So those two pieces of information together give us some good insight into how Jesus perceived his role in ministry on earth. I've been sent by the Father into human history as a human being to do his will. His will is that I would fulfill and accomplish everything that was promised and anticipated in the Old Testament scriptures. And so to understand why Jesus came, we have to connect his life and ministry as a fulfillment of the expectation of the Old Testament. As we study the Old Testament, we see that there are three distinct offices in the Old Testament that were very predominant and were kind of foreshadowing the coming of Jesus. And those are the prophet, the priest, and the king. And the prophet speaks for God, and the priest serves for God, and the king rules for God. And Jesus comes as a fulfillment of each of these three offices, as a prophet, as a priest, and as a king. And so what I want to do is I want to look at the ministry of Jesus in light of these three offices, examine the reasons for which he came into human history. And so we're going to start with the prophet. 
know, when you think of a prophet, you tend to think of a person, you know, who's courageous and who's bold and who preaches and proclaims, who speaks the truth, who reveals the truth of the person and the work and the word and the will of God. The person who's very confrontational, the, uh, the person that is very bold. And so Jesus comes to us as a prophet. Uh, this was all prophesied. I mean, way back in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 22, the, by, the, by the great prophet Moses. And he prophesied that one day there would be a greater prophet who would come. And that prophet would supersede his ministry. And we see in Acts chapter 3 where Deuteronomy 18 was quoted and that it was fulfilled by Jesus, that Jesus is God. So he is more than just a prophet, but he also has this ministry of a prophet and he's greater than Moses. The fulfillment of the Old Testament coming of the, the, pro, the, the promised prophet in Deuteronomy 18, he would be greater than Moses who gave us the first five books of the Bible. And something else that makes... Jesus kind of a unique prophet is that the Old Testament, on 221 occasions, the Old Testament prophets would say, you know, like, thus saith the Lord, or if it's King James, thus saith the Lord, or the word of the Lord came to me. They understood that the truth came from God to them, and they were simply to articulate and communicate and proclaim that to the masses. And so Jesus does something different. Rather than saying, the word of the Lord came to me, or the Lord has said to me, Jesus says stuff like in Matthew 5, but I tell you. And what Jesus is doing there is saying that not only is he the prophet who is speaking the truth of God, he's also God from whom the truth comes. The truth would come from God to the prophets, to the people. Jesus says, I'm God. And so the truth comes from me. And I'm the prophet. And I'm also speaking it. And he would do that by saying, you know, I tell you this, I tell you that. And he was appealing to his own authority as God and his own person as the source and the center and the sum of truth, which is why Jesus tells us uh, just in in John's gospel alone, more than 50 times, he says, you know, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. In the King James, it's verily, 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 I say unto thee, right? Jesus relied on his own authority, and that's why those who heard him said, hey, this man teaches different than everybody else, and he teaches as one with authority, and he speaks of his own authority, and he speaks from his own authority, and that's because Jesus is a prophet, but not just a prophet, he's also God, and so he speaks with that degree of divine authority, and also one thing I think that distinguishes Jesus from other prophets is his relationship to the word of God. And that is that Jesus doesn't just speak the word of God, but that he is the word of God. The word of God is written in scripture, but the word of God is living in Jesus. He's the living incarnate word. And it says that, does it not, in John chapter 1? Can we read this passage at Christmas a lot? In the beginning was the word. The word was with with God and the word was God. And he was in the beginning. And then you jump down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
And he came from the Father full of grace and truth. And so in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word became flesh. Jesus Christ came down to live here among us to reveal God and to bring us both grace and truth. And so when, when we understand Jesus in that way, I think we see that Scripture, the written Word, exists to reveal Jesus the incarnate word, and that the truth is both in Scripture and in the life of Jesus. And I tell you, they absolutely, positively sing in harmony about the truth of God because one is the written word and the other is the living word. And that being said, as we get into the ministry of Jesus as a prophet, the one who reveals truth, the one who's God, the one who makes the truth known, the one who speaks all together truthfully, we hear that Jesus himself saw himself as coming into human history with the prophetic ministry of preaching. And Jesus was the greatest preacher that ever lived. Jesus came to preach. And he says this by way of example, uh, Jesus' own words in Mark chapter 1, verse 36 through 42. And I'll just read this. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. And he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and then driving out demons. And so you read the Bible, you realize that, you know, God is holy, God is perfect, God is good, and you're not, and I'm not. And you feel convicted, and you're supposed to. And then we're supposed to repent and confess our sins to God and then reorient our lives toward God and toward God's purposes and toward obedience and toward holiness. And that is how Jesus comes to us as a prophet, to confront us, to rebuke us, to call us to repentance, to put his finger on the dark parts of our lives and say, go and sin no more. Knock it off. That's wicked. That's evil. This is urgent, and God is not happy with your conduct. This is a serious matter. And so repent is the main message of the prophet. So Jesus comes as a preaching, truth-telling prophet, but in addition to that, he also comes as a loving, humble, kind, merciful, serving priest. Not only prophet, but a priest. And I'll give you some examples, but let me first explain what a priest in the Old Testament is. The priest is the one who mediates or intercedes between God and the people. The priest would take, you know, the hopes and dreams and fears and sins and the needs of the people, bring them to God as a mediator, as, a, as an intercessor through prayer. And oftentimes, too, what the priest would do would offer sacrifices because the wage or the penalty of sin is death. And so he would offer sacrifices showing that the people's sin was real and death was deserved, but begging God for mercy and forgiveness. And so Jesus comes into human history as a priest, and he becomes a human being. So as to identify with us as both God and man, Jesus as priest is able to reconnect us to God and represent us and God because he is God, but he also, you know, he, 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 
He also understands our humanity because he was a human being. He is the one and only, the infinite God-man. And that's why Paul says there's only one mediator between us and God, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. And he's the only mediator that we have. And in the Old Testament, the priest was the representative and the mediator between God and the people, and Jesus has that priestly role. And I'll give you two places in Scripture that speak about this. And if you want a, a good handle on this, and you know, what book of the Bible should you read? Hebrews. Hebrews. Hebrews, in many ways, is a book that is in large part about Jesus as a priest and as a sacrifice. Jesus is not only the priest in Hebrews, he's also the lamb who, without spot or blemish or sin, was, his blood was shed uh, to take away our sins and to give us peace with God. And so Hebrews is in large part written to explain the priestly ministry of Jesus. And I want to give you a couple verses from Hebrews. Hebrews 9, 26, it says, Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is priest who offers a sacrifice. And Jesus is also the lamb who was slain. And he's the one who lays down his life and He's the one that, you know, sheds his own blood for my sin, you know, appeasing the holiness and the wrath of God, taking away my sin, making peace, you know, between me and, and God. But Jesus isn't just a priest who serves me through his death. He also rose again, and Jesus is alive, and he's well today, and Jesus has this ongoing priestly ministry. Even at this very moment, he is interceding for me. Between me and God the Father as my mediator. And that's what it says in Hebrews 7.25. It says, therefore he, or Jesus, is able to save completely those who have come, those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So as a priest, Jesus continues, you know, to intercede for me. He saved me through his the sacrifice of his own life, the shedding of his own blood, the giving of his own self, but Jesus' ministry did not end with his death. He rose. He ascended into heaven. He's alive and he's well today and he continues to function in his priestly office as my living intercessor. So what does this mean for me practically? Let me take a drink. It means that Jesus actually pays attention to me. Not because I'm such a great guy, but because he's such a good and a great God. And the Bible says that Jesus knows every hair on our head, that he knows every day of our life, he knows our desires, he knows our longings, he knows our fears, he knows our thoughts. What that means is that Jesus is actually paying attention. And this is, I think, a wonderful truth, that Jesus didn't go to heaven and then just, you know, abandon us, but is paying very careful attention to our life, and he's interceding for us, Meaning, in a prayerful way, he's bringing our needs and requests to God the Father. You know, God, Father, they're struggling. You know, Father, they're hurting. They're wandering. They're tempted. Jesus has this ongoing prayerful ministry of intercession as our great high priest. Jesus actually has been paying very careful attention to your life. And you know what? He loves you. He loves you very deeply and affectionately and tenderly, and he is in every way for you. And one, he's for you, and he's wanting you to grow in 
in holiness and in your understanding of who God is and what he's done and how you might have a more intimate and loving relationship with him. And that's how wonderful Jesus is as priest. And when you think of priest, think of loving. Think of merciful. Think of compassionate. Think of patient. I mean, think of one who comes alongside kind of as a friend and walks with you. The prophet is the one who says, and here's what you got to do, you know, which is true. And the priest is the one who says, you know, I'm going to help you do that. (laughs) Only Christianity, listen, only Christianity offers Jesus who gets off his throne and he comes down into human history and he humbly serves you and loves you, and befriends you, and he walks with you, and he gives you grace, and he gives you mercy, and he says, here's what I demand of you, but I know you're incapable of doing that, so I'm here to help, and with me, you can do it. This is the priestly role of Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. The Bible also says says that he spent a lot of time with tax collectors and sinners, and that he came to seek and to save the lost. And he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So sometimes Jesus is very prophetic. He calls people to repentance, you know, knock it off, stop, it's urgent. Sometimes he functions in a real priestful way, a priestly way, you know, like you're sick, you know, you're sinful. I'm here to give you some mercy. I'm here to get, be your friend. I'm, you know, let me walk with you. Your life will change if you just hang out with me for a while. That's the priestly function. Again, the prophet commands and the priest enables obedience. So Jesus speaks of us in kind of priestly language as being lost sometimes and sick and sinful. And he gives us mercy and service and friendship and help and grace and comfort and patience and kindness. And Romans says it's the kindness of God. Did you get that? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That by understanding the priestly ministry of Jesus, it leads us to repentance that Jesus takes our hand as a friend, and then he walks with us. Isn't that great? And the verse I perhaps love the most that talks about this is Hebrews 4, 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to what? Sympathize. Jesus is sympathetic. Jesus sympathizes. You know, you say, well, I'm tempted. Well, Jesus was tempted. You can run to him and he'll help. You say, well, I'm feeling weak and I'm feeling sick or I'm I'm suffering, I'm disappointed and things have gone bad with my family and with my friends and, and, uh, you know, I just don't know what to do. You know, I'm just... I'm just confused, and I don't know what. And Jesus sympathizes. He came into human history, though he is God, and he lived a human life. And he's been tempted, and he's had friends that have betrayed him, and he's had family turn their back on him, and he's been flat broke. He's been homeless. He's been unemployed. He's been rejected. He's been lied about. He's lost people that he loved. He sympathizes, and the really neat, cool part about that is that Jesus isn't a God that just stands back and gives orders and has no idea what it's like to be in a sinful, cursed, fallen world. Jesus has come and he's humbly walked on the earth 
and he lived the life and he understands where we are and when we need him the most, we can run to, run to him because he sympathizes and he gives us grace and mercy and forgiveness and encouragement and friendship and help and support and unbelievable patience. So Jesus came to reveal himself uh, as a prophet who speaks and we must listen and we must repent. But he also came to reveal himself as a priest who serves, who kind of walks alongside and who makes obedience possible. And then the third ministry, his third office that's foreshadowed in the Old Testament is the office or the ministry of king. That his rule is over all peoples, all times, all places, all cultures, all kings and kingdoms, and every aspect of our life. And when we say that Jesus is Lord, that's what we're talking about. Jesus speaks of himself as a king in John chapter 18. I'm going to read it to you, verses 36 and 37. He's having this conversation with a king, or we could say with a leader, with Pilate. We just mentioned his name in the Apostles' Creed, right? Suffered under Pontius Pilate. And Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Well, if he's got a kingdom, what is he? He's a king. A king has a kingdom. And he said, I've got a kingdom. I've got a heavenly kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest from, by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Well, you're a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. For this reason I came into the world. There's our question again. Why did Jesus come? Jesus said, I came into this world to reveal my kingdom and to reveal myself as king over all the other kings and to testify to the truth. Everyone who's on the side of truth listens to me. So Jesus has a kingdom and he is a king and his rule and his reign extends over all creation and Jesus is the king of kings and his kingdom is over all the visible creation and all of the invisible creation over all the material creation and the immaterial or supernatural spiritual world and he says this as well in Luke 11:19 through 21 he says now if i drive out demons by beelzebub or satan by whom do your followers followers drive them out so then they would be your judges but if I drive out demons by the finger of God then the kingdom has come to you Jesus says my rule is not just over the physical world but you know what it's over the spiritual world too and I rule over all people and I rule over all angels and all demons and all spirits Jesus is Lord of all. And so Jesus has complete, total authority as king over everything, visible and invisible, material and immaterial, all of creation and all beings, including Satan and demons. And furthermore, Jesus' rule extends over all aspects of our lives. John 10.10, 10, I've come that, why? I have come, Why? That they might have life and have it more abundantly or more have it more to the full, some versions say. And that full life is lived as Jesus, as king, rules over all of our life. And what that means is this. Jesus, as Lord, 
means he rules and reigns over all the nations, right? All over the, all the tongues and tribes and languages and cultures and religions and philosophies. He rules over all the physical leaders. He rules over all the spiritual leaders, all the demons. And what that means, he also has jurisdiction over your internet browser. <laughs> and over your love life. Right? I mean, let's get real practical. Over your alcohol, over your diet, over your debit card, over your friends, over your hobbies, over your choice of entertainment, over your job, over your work, over your work ethic, over your driving habits. So I hate to declare that publicly because now I'm held accountable. I mean, don't ask my wife some of the things I do when I'm driving or say... I'm guilty, and I need Jesus real bad about that. But uh, I guess why I'm telling you this is that I believe that you will not have, you cannot have really a full understanding of Jesus, a real healthy, vibrant, growing, life-changing relationship with Jesus unless you understand how he comes to you in these three different ministries, in these three different offices that were foreshadowed in the Old Testament. Now, there are times when Jesus comes to you as a prophet to speak very pointedly, you know, very truthfully, to call you to repentance, to to point out your sin. And it's very strong. And if you're repentant, Jesus comes alongside as a priest to just love you, to encourage you, to talk with you, to be your friend, to give you grace and mercy and patience and counsel and instruction and enable you to live a new life of holiness and obedience. And what I have found is that this is the Christian life. There's seasons of conviction. There's seasons where Jesus is a prophet. There are seasons of change and transformation where Jesus is priest. And there's seasons of kingship where you see how Jesus is not maybe rightly connected to some aspect of your, our lives. And then he invites you to join him for work and transformation in that particular part of your life. And for me, Jesus comes to me as a prophet through the scripture. When I read the scripture, I always pray. Lord Jesus, would you convict me of sin? Would you reveal yourself and speak to me? Because I am kind of stubborn and hard-headed. And I need you to make it clear to me. And he does. And then when I'm hurting or struggling or frustrated or tempted or, or lost or sinned, you know, like in the fog, I pray to Jesus as a priest. And I say, you know, Jesus, you're my priest. And I pray that you would give me mercy and you would, you would give me grace and you would give me some counsel and give me comfort and give me help and be my friend. You know, would you walk with me? Would you get me out of this? Would you lead me? Would you tell me what to do? Jesus, I just need you to serve me. I need your help. I need you to lead me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to change me. I need you to teach me. I need you. And so I come to you as a priest. And then as a king, Jesus reveals to me maybe the other areas of my life that need some work. (laughs) Need a little work here, Dave. And uh, the reason I'm saying this is that I'm assuming that every one of us here has some strengths and weaknesses, Uh, right? Can I hear amen about that? Yeah. Uh, Strengths and weaknesses in our understanding of Jesus in these three offices, in these three roles. And 
You know, how many of you really get Jesus as prophet? You know, Jesus speaks to me. He speaks the truth. He points out my sin. You know, okay, I get it. And then how many of you get Jesus as priest? You know, he loves me. You know, he walks with me. He's encouraging. He's comforting. He's helpful. And how many of you get Jesus as king? You know, he is over everything. And it's all about him. It's not about me. How many of you get that? The problem is that if we don't understand all three, listen, if we do not understand all three, you will have an incomplete, you will have a lopsided view of Jesus. And I think that will have devastating effects on how you live out your Christian life. And so Jesus is the prophet who sometimes has very hard words for me, but also Jesus is the priest who kind of comes alongside with love and grace and mercy and patience to enable me to live out this life of obedience, and Jesus is the king. There is nothing in my life, there is no aspect of my life that he doesn't have you know, jurisdiction over and a right to then... If you understand all this, I really believe that you can live a free and a full and a joyous, loving, worshipful Christian life with Jesus. Why did Jesus come? As prophet to speak to us, as priest to serve us, and as king to rule over us. That's why he came, and he's alive and he's well today, and he continues these ministries, speaking, serving, ruling. And so maybe we just need to get some time with Jesus. Maybe we need to make some time with Jesus and to ask ourselves, where are we deficient in our understanding of the ministry of Jesus and why he came? And then ask him, Jesus, you know, I'm going to start reading the scripture. Would you reveal yourself to me as a prophet? I don't get that. Or would you reveal yourself to me as a priest? Because I don't get that. Or would you reveal yourself to me as a king? And I don't get that. And then pray before you read this scripture, asking that Jesus would reveal himself to you through his word, and then seek to grow in your understanding of all three of his offices and ministries. And I guarantee you, I promise you, that it will change everything. You'll love him like you've never loved him before. You will enjoy him like you've never enjoyed him before. And the times that you need him most, you will run to him and you will not run away from him. Because you will understand that he alone is able to help in your time of need. And he sympathizes. Jesus sympathizes. And so he will receive you in love. And for those of you who aren't believers yet, you're not Christians yet, you should become a Christian. You know, today. You know, you repent of sin. You know, you give your... Give it to Jesus who died to take away your sin. He's... Convicting you today as a prophet. He will forgive your sin as a priest. And he'll make it so you leave here with him as king ruling over your life. Kind of like the bumper sticker my friend Calvin Oliver put on his old white rusty pickup 35 years ago down in Stickney, South Dakota. And the, it was right after he gave his life to Jesus. He slapped this bumper sticker on the back of his pickup and it said, under new management. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, some of us need to experience you as prophet. 
We have lives of sin and unrepentance and kind of like folly, hard-heartedness and even secret sin and shame and double-mindedness. And Jesus, we need those stinging words of truth from you as a prophet. Jesus, some need to encounter you as priests today. You know, they're all beaten up. It's like they're haggard, worn out, they're sick, they're tired, they're frustrated, tempted, they're lost, they need mercy. They need grace. They need you to take their hand and just lead them, to guide them. They need you to extend patience and long-suffering and affection to them. And so, Jesus, I thank you that as a priest, you can and you will. And Jesus, some of us need to grow in our understanding of you as king. Jesus... There are some of us who have secret lives and and like shameful ways and maybe whole aspects of who we are and what we do that somehow we think are not under your jurisdiction, you know, not under your lordship, not under your rule, not under your reign. And Lord Jesus, Lord, give us grace to repent today. May we walk in the light and not try to hide from you. Walk in the light as you are in the light. May we acknowledge your rule over every aspect of our life. And Jesus, we want to thank you that you are a prophet that speaks. And we thank you that you're a priest who serves. And we thank you that you're a king who rules. And Lord, even as we gather the tithe and our offering, we come to worship you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you've done. And may this offering time truly be an act of worship, an expression of our love and commitment to you, And we join the angels uh, singing glory to the newborn king and also glory to the soon coming king. In your name, Jesus, we pray. So for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. He is our prophet. He is our priest and he is our king. Amen? Amen. Amen.